the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Innovation has been a central theme of Lloyd's List's editorial agenda for several years now, precisely because it should hold the key to how we as an industry overcome challenges, how we catalyse change, how we de-risk the future of shipping. But I think we have a problem, several problems in fact. All of the evidence that I can lay my hands on, all of the interviews I've conducted, all of the webinars I've hosted, it all points to the same thing. We should be living through a golden age of innovation right now. Startup funding is plentiful. Accelerator programs are everywhere. Smart ideas are able to meet smart money. And the startups coming into our sector are setting about applying technology to real-world issues. And let's face it, there's certainly no shortage of problems for them to resolve. Whether we're talking about decarbonisation or digitalisation, it's all part and parcel of the same set of revolutionary forces requiring seismic change across the industry. But I don't think we're seeing the pace of change that all this would imply. Startups, yes, they are plentiful, but scaling is a massive problem. Collaboration is often promised, but yet rarely witnessed in this industry. The misalignment of incentives between owners and charterers that remains a major blocker to the data transparency that is required to scale digital innovations beyond these siloed projects that we see so often. Digitalization efforts remain stubbornly fragmented. Optimization experts are oversupplied, but the industry is still flooded with startups trying to solve problems in isolation. And I think part of the problem is that we're still talking about technology for the most part when we talk about innovation. I'm not sure technology is the big problem here. Whether it's new fuels and infrastructure or artificial intelligence and optimization, the technology, by and large, already exists. The major breakthroughs for which shipping is waiting are around scalability and availability, but it needs companies that are set up for change. And I propose that is where the real challenges lie. Which is why I gathered a panel of the industry's leading lights for a webinar this week to discuss the current status of shipping innovation evolution. Now, if you tuned into the live event, consider this a condensed view of the key takeaways. But if you didn't, well, we have the full session available on demand for free, ready and waiting for you. So just go to loislist.com and follow the registration instructions once you click on the homepage banner. Now, Leslie Dang is the Singapore Managing Director of the hugely innovative AI efficiency specialist Nautilus Labs. And she thinks that we are still essentially at the beginning of what will be a seismic and ultimately very fast period of change. But we have to reach a critical mass before all that happens. So in order for innovation to spread across an industry, you need to reach a certain tipping point. And that's where activity from the very big shipping companies, the Maersk, the CMSCGM of this world are really, really important because from there, uh, we'll reach that tipping point and from there, everything will move faster. Uh, until then, the industry will be looking at what others are doing and will be more focused on some aspects like uh, pricing rather than looking at uh, what uh, innovation is gonna bring to them. That being said, uh, we've seen a pickup in conversation uh, throughout uh, the last 18 months, especially driven by things like, like CI, uh, especially driven by companies that feel uh, the pressure 
uh, which could be from a regulatory perspective, from clients, from investors. So I think we are getting closer and closer to that tipping point. From an operational view, though, it's important to understand why things can appear slow. I asked Gary Noonan, head of transition technologies at Ardmore Shipping Corporation, to join the panel precisely because I know Ardmore to be one of the more progressive ship owners out there, willing to invest in innovation and data projects over several years. So Gary knows firsthand where the pitfalls lie and why the risk is so significant. So Richard, as you know, we've been doing this for years. This is nothing new for us. We fully believe in you know big data and moving away from new reports. That being said, we've been working on our solution for the last 10 years. You know, this is not easy. I, I joke when people say, say to me, oh, let's just map an API, you know, job done. And then it becomes the actual, when the, road, the rubber hits the road and mapping an API becomes an eight-month project. You know, I, I think we need to remember that, you know, we're in a capital-intensive low-return business. And, you know, it's extremely competitive. And for the last 10 years, you know, we've been not exactly making a lot of money in so money hasn't been, you know, readily available to a lot of companies to, you know, digitalize. That being said, you know, the tools are there. I just think that, you know, we're probably on the cusp of a change now in that, you know, most sectors have seen a bit of a boom over the last year or so. You know, maybe the capital is there to start investing in these things. But, you know, there is a risk to an early adopter. If we look back at when the ISM was first brought up, you know, companies spent millions on it, you know, being pioneers and developing solutions. And then other companies came in at the 11th hour and, you know, bought a CD off the, the rack for 50k. You know, when you look at stuff like that and you look at the digitalization side of things, it, there is a risk. And I think, you know, shipping is always, I mean, we're in the business of taking risks. So we're always slow to take, I suppose, critical risks in that regard. And, you know, rolling out a digital solution across the shipping company is not a small feat. And yet, things are changing. As Leslie put it, we're getting close to the tipping point, but we're not quite there yet. The point she makes, though, about the introduction of CII, the Carbon Intensity Indicator, is an important one, because the regulatory pressure to cut carbon emissions from shipping is accelerating investment in innovation. That was a point made consistently across the webinar panel this week, but reiterated by many of the people that I've been speaking to recently. Yeah, I suppose, you know, the first thing to say here is chartering and ship owners are on, you know, opposing sides of the equation. You know, when one loses out, the other wins. And, you know, that, that's a difficult relationship to have because, you know, there, there is no win-win. There's either a compromise or a win-lose. That being said, CII is going to be a game changer, maybe not as soon as we would hope, but certainly kind of once we get to the 2026 mark and the second stage comes in. You know, I, I think it's quite clear that charter parties aren't fit for purpose. You know, we, we look at, I'm sure the commercial team would hate me saying this, but in a bad market, you know, the marriage kept us alive. But when you look at decarbonization, the merge is the enemy. You know, there's this, you know, going across the Atlantic at 13 knots and then waiting for two weeks, you know, does nothing for anyone's CII rating. And I know BIMCO are working awfully hard on it right now. It's, it's not an easy problem to solve because 
you know, if a charter takes a ship and uses and abuses it for a year and then gives it back with an E rating, where does the owner lie? You know, the charter might even look for a discount for the following year, you know, because the ship has a bad rating. So, you know, there's certainly potentially a lot of litigation on the horizon, but I think then it comes back to relationships, which, you know, the, the chartering world is built on. However, I do think there's an awful lot of work to be done on the legal side of things, you know, and unfortunately, we're two months away from this coming into, you know, power. So, you know, time is running out. You know, when you start looking at things like emission trading schemes, it becomes even worse because, you know, that, that puts a dollar figure on the hair and now, whereas, you know, CII is potentially next year's problem, you know, which is why digitalization is, is a big part of the solution because, you know, you can't afford it to be next year's problem. You need to know where you lie at that every point in time throughout the year. If we were looking at this purely as a technical issue, we would have resolved these questions years ago. We had Nautilus Lab with us this week on the webinar, but ask any of the companies in this space right now, and they will blow your mind with what is technically achievable and what is ready to go, admittedly at the right price. The technology to make shipping more efficient, not zero carbon, mind, but significantly more efficient, that exists, has done for years. But what we're talking about here is a misalignment of incentives. So how do we marry the conversation that engineers and data scientists want to have about technology and the efficiency with the ability of a company to actually change? Back to Leslie. Yeah. In short, yes, I think the misalignment of incentives is really a major source of concern. So our mission is to drive decarbonization uh, through commercial optimization. But decarbonization to us, to me, is a team sport. So when you think about the team sport, that means that those misaligned incentives are really a major blocker to be able to work with the different stakeholders, owners, charters. And that all starts with the way the charter party agreements don't allow for true uh, collaboration, true optimization. So, however, I think CI may be a catalyst for change. You know, it's a common metric that can be a common language that all of the stakeholders can understand. And, you know, no one wants to be in a situation where we are in a zero-sum game. Uh, to, the, to the contrary, I think there are opportunities to collaborate around CI. What uh, we are trying to bring is insights, insights into how uh, CI is impacted. So if you are able to break down the, you know, the, the performance degradation impact on CI versus the operational decision impact on CI, I think that brings the foundation for uh, collaboration, for, for transparency, and to bring the, the, the industry to a win-win situation rather But in order for innovation to be adopted, it's not just a question of technology. Digital transformation is 10% digital and 90% transformation. Ultimately, it comes down to change management. You can't expect shipping businesses to change the way they've operated for centuries overnight. You can't walk the path with them, argues Leslie. The industry, however, is increasingly separating into a tiered demographic of digital haves and have-nots. 
Smaller companies tend to struggle with new digital initiatives, and while scale of operations is no longer the determining factor it once was, when it comes to digitalizing projects, the uptake and investment into digital efficiency remains heavily skewed to a small selection of early adopters, which are generally larger companies. According to Osku Kalyaka, head of digital business at ABB Marine and Ports, many of the larger companies are utilising increasingly sophisticated data collection solutions and seem quite comfortable in adopting machine learning and AI into their systems. Smaller companies, not so much. These are the guys that represent 65% to 70% of the industry. They are struggling to adapt. Now, partly that's about the conservative nature of that sector. Partly it's about change management and the adaptability of companies of that size. It's also about technology companies and the conversations that they are having with their customers. But it's a, it's an industry which changes quite uh, quite slow, as we as we all know. It's really hard to try to try to make this business change. But uh, I would also look into the mirror on this one and uh, what kind of a, what kind of a, uh, business models we have tried to try to brought, brought to the, tried to bring to the uh, to the market. So uh, so if if we look at the supplier side on this one, how the suppliers have changed and uh, have we have we come up with the new sort of an ideas based on the for example the the platforms or have we have we come up with an ideas with the subscription models like they are doing in the all the other industries industries there taking taking for a one one example or uber for example so 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 is is are these services personalized uh, is there any closed loop inventions inside of it are we sharing the assets are we sharing the data how do we is it is is the business based on the usage uh, based pricing um, do we collaborate how do we collaborate do we have systems where we collaborate and how agile are we and uh, if you can answer if you can answer three of those six topics if you can answer yes we are then we are starting to talk about the business model change so it's not entirely our clients fault it's also it's also our suppliers fault not to offer any any other type of uh, business models that we could continue and we could provide for our clients to to build where to build up the new type of business model also for them I would say it's uh, it's uh, it's also a competence-related issue in many cases. That how how is the is the architecture on the different type of companies built, and uh, and how how are the architect how how does the architecture supports to collect the data from the vessel and uh, and to utilize the data, and then who is running the data in the companies that we are talking about? If we take all the companies in the world and uh, and want to have one data scientist on those companies, we shouldn't be doing anything else but uh, but uh, but uh, educating and the training the new data scientists for these companies. And then you come to the IT support systems and everything. So it might be it's it's a, it's a mouthful in that sense for these for these smaller companies that uh, they don't have uh, enough resources or they are people who have spent uh, half of their lives on, on, at sea and now they are sitting at the office and then some guy comes with uh, with a nice IE system and tries to promote that this will this will uh, change everything what you are doing so so it's uh, it's a building the competence and the collaborating with the clients and show the clients that uh, that 
hey, if you if you do something, do this and then build on top of it as a, as, as a parallel. And uh, this is actually a bridge now. Bridge now to how I see the business at the moment is that uh, we are working uh, working too much in the silos. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's a startup. It doesn't matter if it's ABB or any any big company out there. We are competing with each other and we are not uh, collaborating enough. And uh, maybe we should just decide inside inside this business that uh, that okay i will be mostly responsible for this i might have nice services over here but actually i will welcome all the startups to to have a joint venture with us and uh, try to promote the systems together which leads us then to the standardization and the collaborations with the clients so I, I see that as an uh, as a game changer this one and uh, definitely will create the new business models now, that is just a small snapshot of the full webinar, and I would recommend anyone wanting to hear more to check out the on-demand recording of the main event. And while you're there, head back and read the Innovation Special Report, which is also available on loyslist.com, where we go into a lot more depth on these topics and many more besides. Sadly, that is where we leave it for this week's edition of the podcast, but we will be back again next week with more audio treats for you and a generous helping of Maritime Insights. For now, though, thank you for listening and have a